Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Alarmist. Check out Alarmist on Patreon for ad-free episodes and bonus content. Here's a preview of our guest Alarmist series, only on Patreon. Like, what is that instinct that made you run to the bathroom? Shame. Oh, 100%. I was, I felt so ashamed. <laughs> this is like, it was, she was like an older woman too. Right. And she had this. Like, you were disgracing her. I, she was disgraced. Like, make no mistake. <laughs> she, like, if she came in with grace, she was disgraced. Yes. Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today. Now on to our episode. Each week we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Gina Collada. Gina is a New York Times health journalist and author of Flu, the story of the great influenza pandemic of 1918 and the search for the virus that caused it. Let's hear what she has to say about the 1918 pandemic. Hi, Gina. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So before we dive in and start talking about the flu, I I think it's important for our listeners to get some context behind it. What's going on in the world in 1918? Well, it was a really difficult time because there was a world war going on and 
although in 1918, no one knew what a virus was. So if the flu comes around, you know, no one knows what causes it. So it was a time when science was very different than it is today. And when there were a lot of troop movements and disruptions because of the war. I'd love to set the record straight. Why is the 1918 pandemic called the Spanish flu? And is that uh, inappropriate? It, it really is. The reason is that during the war, there was a lot of censorship. And in Spain, they had reports of this strange flu arising in Spain. But that's only because there wasn't a sen- they, those reports were not censored. So actually, that's a real misnomer. It was everywhere. And it wasn't Spanish. It wasn't, it was like, you know, with, with COVID, it wasn't, you know, you call it the, what did, he, what did Trump call it? The China flu or the China, yeah, yeah. China virus. This was not a virus that originated in Spain, all like COVID, which originated in China. This was a virus that was, it's not clear where it originated. originated. Do we know uh, where are some pockets or do do people have an idea of where it could have started? Uh, I've read there's some conflicting reports. The hypothesis is most of the big flu pandemics, I hate to say it started in China. And they usually started in China because a, a bird had a flu and it mutated and mm. was it infected something like a pig. And then the pig flu infected something like a person. So it usually goes from bird to mammal to human being. So it probably originated the way all the others originated. And the genetics indicate that's probably what happened to it. So it did not originate in Spain. It almost certainly originated in China or maybe somewhere nearby. And it almost certainly originated from a bird. And how did the virus spread? What was uh, what were some of the known um, ways that it, it it was contagious? Well, because just like any other flu, it was spreading through the air through droplets, and there was a lot. One one thing that really helped it spread. I mean, you didn't have the kind of travel we had today, but they had all those troop movements. And it also spread sort of very weird ways, like it would sort of pop up in strange places. It'd be in one city, and then all of a sudden it'd be in another city. And usually it was a very, very contagious flu. So if somebody traveled, um, like they would have in Alaska, somebody was visiting this very remote village, a mailman, and somehow managed to spread it to the village where it killed almost everybody in the village. So it was, it was, you know, it was one of those things where because they didn't have the kind of science they have today, it's harder than it could be to trace it. But you could see reports of these deaths popping up all over the place. And it was all over the world. There wasn't any place that was spared. How, how big of a part did uh, World War One play in, in this spread? It's thought that it played a really big role because you had people traveling to different countries all over the place. I mean, people were were coming and going from Europe and from Asia, from everywhere. And that and when you start when you have something as contagious as this flu, it can start seeding the flu virus all over the world. So what were some of the flu's symptoms? Um, how did the virus attack the, the human body? <laughs> it it attacked the human body by it really attacked the lungs and people mm. would, would practically they would get a very rapid fast 
lung infection, making it really difficult to breathe. And for a lot of people, bacteria would also come in. So it got confusing because they had a bacterial pneumonia on top of a viral disease. But most people died because they couldn't breathe and their lungs were filling with fluid. It was really sort of a gruesome death and it could happen very quickly. And it was it was unusual because it killed so many people and it killed people who were much younger than the usual flu victims. It kill, was killing people in, in middle age instead of usually it's very old and very young. Do we know why people um, in that age group were the most susceptible to the virus? Well, actually, the very old and very young also were susceptible. Oh, okay. They described it as a W-shaped curve, the very young, and then the middle-aged, and then, or maybe young adults, I would call them, and then the very old. The hypothesis is that, that there may have been something that spread through the world previously, and these people who were young adults were not exposed to it. One hypothesis is there was a, Rus- a Russian flu, they called it, that happened in the late 1800s. And it may have been that a lot of people who were exposed to that flu had some protection from this 1918 flu. But the whole thing is kind of a mystery. It really was a strange flu because the age distribution was so unusual. How did the doctors at the time treat, treat the flu? It was, it was really strange. They had all kinds of odd concoctions. Since they didn't know what a virus was, they didn't have any way of treating it. They had things people would think were really kind of strange. They, they, had, they started doing vaccines with weird bacteria mixtures. They didn't know what it was. There was this hypothesis. It was this particular kind of bacteria, which, of course, it wasn't. So they didn't really know how to treat it. They did have, though, social distancing and they did have masks and they told people to stay away and they they closed schools and they closed the courts and they banned public gatherings so it was clear it was spreading through crowds and there were there were attempts to try to keep people away from these crowds now from my understanding the the flu came in three waves over the course of 2 years did did infection rates vary during these uh, three waves? What, was there one that was more deadly? Do we do they know why? You know, it's really hard. They don't have great statistics. That's our, also oh. part of the problem. Because how do you know somebody died of the flu and not something else? You really kind right. of don't. Somebody's dead, and how much and how careful were they in recording these deaths? It you know, so the statistics were kind of. You can look at obituaries, you can look at how many people died, but it's really hard to know for sure, like, was one way more deadly than the other. I mean, the whole, it was a whole different world then. Medicine yeah. was so different. Public health was so different. It was just hard to compare it to what we have today. And can you help us understand how deadly it was, I guess? <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was deadly. It was deadly, like more deadly than COVID. It really was. And maybe that's because they didn't have the way of a way of treating it. Like right now we have ventilators. We can keep people alive. They really didn't have anything like that. So if you got infected, you were infected and, and you have to, and most people, actually most people didn't die. Most people lived, but because so many people were infected, if you just have a higher than normal death rate, you end up with a lot, lot, lot of deaths. So how did they treat it? They treated it, you know, they would basically try any sort of weird thing that they could, or they would just tell you to stay away from everyone else, which is probably good advice. And they really didn't have anything. Now, we don't have much either for the flu. We have vaccines, which really are effective. 
not you know depending on the year, but they can really help. And then we have things like Tamiflu, these these antivirals, but we don't have anything that's like an antibiotic, like a wipeout drug for flu either. We we're not that great. We're better than a lot better than nineteen eighteen, but we we don't have the cure for everybody. Now, I, I, how did living conditions at the time affect the spread and and the recovery from the flu? Well, there wasn't very good hygiene. I mean, there was, not like we have today. Right. And people, a lot of people in cities in particular lived in very close quarters. So that would that really helped spread the flu as well. But really, it was just that the virus was so infectious. I mean, it went everywhere in the world. It went places where people were in cities. It went to remote areas. It went to the most remote areas ever. So it wasn't necessarily just that people were living close together in cities because the virus was in rural areas as well. And at what point did the U.S. government realize that they were dealing with a serious health crisis? Uh, and, and, and once they knew, how did they respond? If they knew very early because mm. there are these reports of these of incredible numbers of deaths of young soldiers in various camps. And they sent out a contingent to Fort Devens in Boston at the very beginning of the pandemic. And they sent some of the most famous doctors to say, you know, what do we see here? And they wrote back a, a report that was horrifying. They said, I just hope I, I, you know, I just have these memories and I wish I didn't have to have them. They're so awful. And we saw these me young men filing into the infirmary and then in the morning, their bodies were stacked like cordwood. I mean, it was a horrifying scene. So that, that was very scary. And, the government knew that something was going on. They didn't really know what the flu was because, like I said, they didn't know what a virus was. They didn't have any way of, of isolating it or knowing how to characterize it. But they knew this was a really, really terrible epidemic and nothing like nothing they'd ever seen before. Was there a turning point in the, in the pandemic where they realized they really needed to come together? Uh, you know, it was happening all over the world and, and they need to do some kind of joint global response. There wasn't a global response, but mm. but it, it locally cities closed pretty much closed down. The courts closed down, the schools closed down, everything was shut down. It was just sort of silence because nobody wanted to go out in public. They had no public gatherings. Everything was banned. And when you did go out, you had to wear a mask, just like COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, we read that there were um a groups that were actually very uh against the mask mandate. Oh, there and, were. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. There are the anti-mask groups. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't clear how much these masks were really helping. I mean, I'm not sure how great they were. And there were reports that masks really don't help that much against flu. So, and even today. So it's not it's not clear that they were the greatest thing, but they, they were trying. I mean, I had a picture in my book of this baseball game and everybody in it was all the pitcher, the batter, everybody was wearing a mask. And there are these pictures also of the, like police wearing masks. So there were a lot of places where people were wearing them. But you were right. There was an anti-mask movement. People said this, they're not going to do it.
they also so, like shamed the. Uh, there was a lot of shame yeah, happening. Yeah, there for those was. Who didn't. There was. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was. It was so similar to COVID. I mean, I never thought I'd live through something so similar again with the mask, the anti-mask, the social distancing, the isolation, the closing of the schools. It was kind of incredible to see COVID sort of repeating what happened in 1918. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, you wrote your book uh, in the early 2000s. Yeah. How... How was your experience? Did you ever think that you would actually experience something like what you had written about? It must have no, been wild. No, it was really strange. It was really, and I actually didn't even believe it at first. I said, no, this can't be. It's just too incredible. And I, you know, I, I was, I was just sort of so stunned that we would have this new virus come around, but things were so different. I mean, who could you believe we got a vaccine in one year? It was unbelievable. Yeah, very incredible. And the it's 1918 incredible. flu, they never did have a vaccine. So it made a big difference for us. But what a shock, you know, all the, all this time, all, everything closing down like that. I mean, in New Jersey, where I live, the governor closed the public park. So we had like, like a trail along the canal. There's nobody there. You can't go because it's closed. All these barriers because of COVID. And I said, well, wait a minute. There's nobody there. I mean, wow. who are we protecting? Wow. And I would go for a run and people would see me on the on the sidewalk and they'd jump away. And I thought, wait a minute, excuse me, I'm just running by in the outdoors. <laughs> now, uh, we read that President Woodrow Wilson contracted the flu during the, the World War I uh, peace talks. What, what did, how, how did this virus and, and him contracting the virus 
uh, affect the outcome of the Paris Peace Conference and end the end of the war? I don't really think it did, but maybe I'm wrong, Rebecca. You probably know more than I did. Well, one of the strange things about this flu is that when it was over, it was almost as though it was forgotten and people Mm. never talked about it. It was like something in the past, part of the horrors of war, and let's just get over it and go on with our lives. And one, that it's thought that one reason that, that that happened is that there were no famous figures, no presidents, nobody that was killed by this flu. A lot of anonymous people that you'd never heard of were, were killed. And it was, it was if there had been like, you know, if, if he had, if President Wilson had died, then it would have made a big difference. But no, he, like most people who got it, got better so it was you know it was it was strange in the fact that you know you could forget about it because it didn't really impact history the way you would have expected something to on the other hand you could also say the same thing about COVID because you know many of us many people say it's over COVID's done I don't want to focus on it the rest of my life I actually wrote a story once about how the pandemics end and they end when people get tired of them, wow. <laughs> which is kind of interesting. You know, it's not like COVID is gone. It's just no. people are tired of COVID and the flu sort of lingered on. I mean, it, it mutated, so it wasn't as deadly, but we still have the flu and people just don't want to f- obsess over the flu all the time. People, Many people don't want to obsess over COVID all the time. So it's kind of interesting because here we, before COVID, I wrote this thing, or maybe it was during COVID, how the pandemics end. And I, I didn't think I'd see it in real life. People, It ends when people are tired of it. Wow. Yeah, that's what kind you, of fascinating. Yeah. What do you think we learned from the 1918 flu pandemic? Uh, how, how did it shape our response? How, how did then that shape our response to uh, COVID and what we went through? Um well, I'm not sure it made that much of a difference because mm. people don't want to prepare in advance for anything until it happens. And it's mm. actually hard. How Who would ever have known that COVID would be our pandemic? But one thing it did do was, um, is like 1970s, there was, there was this um, fear of a swine flu. And that really got people scared of actually a flu vaccinations because there were some young soldiers that died of a flu that seemed to be coming from a pig. And the 1918 flu seemed to have jumped from a pig to a human. So there was this fear that, oh my gosh, 1918 is coming back again. And we ha- well, we're gonna quickly make a swine flu vaccine. So they made a swine flu vaccine and President Ford told everybody they had to get this vaccine. You know, this horrible pandemic is coming. And then some people got the vaccine and almost certainly was a total coincidence. They died, older people. And they said, oh, no, the vaccine is killing people. And then some people got the vaccine and they got Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a strange neurological disease. It's entirely unclear whether that was a coincidence or not. But ever since then, people have been worried about flu shots and the flu shots have to have a warning on them saying you might get Guillain-Barre. So that actually turned people off about flu shots. They said, you know, this is, you, who knows, they're not safe. They don't do anything for you. I'm wow. not so worried about the flu. I'd got the flu shot and then I got the flu. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But the swine flu thing really was, it was directly related to 1918 and it made things worse. Wow. 
Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Now, <laughs> there's no way to actually answer this or predict this, but I'm curious, <laughs> what are the odds that we will live through another pandemic <laughs> anytime soon? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's been a long time since 1918. Let's hope it's another 100 years. I don't know. It'd be really nice if that happened. And also, you know, I also like to think because I science does get better and better and better, that the next time things would be better than this time. I mean, this time, I think getting a vaccine in one year was shocking. It was so fast, but maybe do even better next time. Not only have a vaccine in one year, but have a, a cure if you get it in one year. It's interesting because now we're saying, oh, it was only one year, right? But when it was happening, Oh my it felt gosh. like for a lifetime. <laughs> I know. And then you had, and then it was so hard to get it when it came out. Like I had to drive an hour to get it. It was unbelievable. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we always ask our guest experts this one question. At the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the 1980 flu, flu pandemic. Who or what would that be? I guess I would say um, hubris, feeling that, you know, we're okay now, nothing's going to happen to us. And I think that was part of it. I think there was a lot of denial that this could actually be going on at the very beginning. And then it became clear that something was happening. Well, Gina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. We're going to head over now to Patreon and discuss further. <laughs> okay, sounds good. If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash The Alarmist. And stay tuned because next week we'll be discussing the film My Best Friend's Wedding. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. 
Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.